1: hosts ben folks and chad dundas that's right you're listening to another episode of the co main event mixed martial arts podcast i'm chad dundas that's ben folks we're both longtime mma journalists and for the last 11 years we've been meeting here every week to break down all the action In the wild, weird, and occasionally wonderful world of mixed martial arts. Ben, we're going to spend most of this episode, I think, talking about UFC 293, which is going to go down this weekend at the Kudos Bank Center, granddaddy of them all, in Sydney, Australia. Headlined, of course, by Israel Adesanya's middleweight title defense against Sean Strickland co-main event tied to Ivasa versus alexander volkov so we will talk mostly i think about the main event and also perhaps the other relative merits of this ufc pay-per-view of course last weekend you had cyril gone get something of a comeback win over sergey spivak at a fight night event over in france we will also give some talk to that we will take listener mail we will do all of the other stuff that the people out there in the expanded co-main event podcast universe have come to love and enjoy. But how you doing, man, before we get into any of that?
0: Well, I'm doing okay. What I was hoping that we would get into, at least in this intro section, is a uh, fella I happened to see come across the TV screen. Or really, actually, more accurately, the phone screen when people sent me recordings of their TV screens as they were watching some professional wrestling from Chicago, Illinois this past weekend. And yeah. who should they see? Fucking front row. Front Second row.
1: row. Second row, but pretty close.
0: Grinning his ass off. Just have a, a boyish delight on yeah. his face at the sight of some sports entertainment. It was none other than your boy Chad Dundas. Tell us about your trip. You went and saw some wrestling.
1: I mean, like I said on Twitter, it's hard not to have a smile on your face when Brian Danielson and Ricky Starks are out there getting their stuff in. in the what ring. was
0: happening at that exact moment? You were delighted.
1: Uh, so my, my friend Tyler and I went out to Chicago. He wanted to attend StarCast Wrestling Weekend, which is a pretty big convention at this point on the scene in professional wrestling. And so yeah, I said I would accompany him. I was more interested in going to see the live wrestling than I was with the actual wrestling convention. Although, you know, that that turned out to be a heck of a way to spend a couple of days also. Do you mean did Demolition? In, yeah, I got a photo with
0: Demolition. Hell, Hell he yeah. were they wearing me? the spikes and the fucking face paint? How have you not already sent it to me?
1: They had the face paint, no spikes. And, uh, no, I'll send it to you. You'll see a, the cert, a certain kind of vibe that Demolition okay. is, is putting okay. off at this point. Uh, we went and saw a bunch of live wrestling. We saw some indie stuff. And then on Saturday night, we went to the live AEW show Collision, which is their Saturday night show. And unwittingly, Ben Folks placed ourselves at the epicenter of professional wrestling for the weekend. And let me tell you why, because there is an MMA tie-in here. About an hour before the show was set to begin... AEW, All Elite Wrestling, which is at this point the biggest competitor to WWE and in some circles has surpassed WWE as the favorite or I guess professional wrestling uh, company of choice. They sent out an email saying that they had fired for cause our guy, Philip Jack Brooks, a.k.a. CM Punk, former UFC luminary. CM Punk he had been suspended for about a week or so owing to yet another backstage uh, incident this one he was rumored to have punched a much smaller much less famous professional wrestler called the jungle boy and then they got into a backstage fracas that caused damage to equipment and it sounds like scared scared AEW owner Tony Khan and so Philip Jack Brooks has been fired from from yet another job. Yet another yeah. uh, job like has hasn't worked out. Well, I'm at this point, I feel like uh, there's a lot of mounting evidence to suggest that perhaps CM Punk is kind of an a-hole. Yeah. And that Maybe perhaps, it does not work
0: well with others.
1: Yeah. Perhaps the the most, perhaps the big CM's, CM Punk's biggest problem is CM Punk, it would seem okay. at this point. And one thing that you got to admire about the guy uh, is that he's been complaining as long as we've known him. Yeah. And one of the things that struck me after this weekend when he got fired, and by the way, we were at AEW in CM Punk's hometown of Chicago. So that's what I meant when I said we were unwittingly put at the epicenter of the wrestling world where some fans were hot. Some fans were hot over it. There was a lot of CM Punk t-shirts In the crowd, a lot of people, I think, had bought their tickets under the understanding that they were going to come out here and see CM Punk get all his stuff in. And instead, they found out an hour before showtime that he had not just been suspended, but indeed had been fired. So there was all that. It was a like you show up to
0: see Guns N' Roses and find out Axl Rose got the boot 15 minutes ago.
1: Yeah. So there was a Surly some of the some of the fans there were surly, but here's the thing that I started thinking about CM Punk. This is a guy who has gotten every opportunity that he ever asked for. Right at the beginning, everyone was saying, "Oh, you know WWE needs to get CM Punk in there. They need to get CM Punk. He'll bring a he'll be an indie guy. He'll bring a whole new attitude to WWE." So they got the, they hired him. He got the opportunity, and then when he was in WWE he's complaining. He's like, Oh, they won't put me at the top. They don't have the guts to make me the champion. They did his little sit down on the stage and do the pipe bomb promo. That was so famous. Uh, and was legitimately cool at the time. I was like, what happened? I made him the champion. They made him chance. He got the opportunity, and he's out here running around. I'm going, oh, they don't respect me as the champion. They won't. They don't consider my physical health important. They won't let me main main event WrestleMania. So in in, in the end, he gets mad. He, gets, he takes his ball and goes home. Says he's going to retire from. From wrestling, what happens later? Oh, he wants to be an MMA fighter. He wants to get an MMA. So what happens? He got the opportunity. They gave it to him. He got to go to the UFC and have a couple of fights. They gave him essentially like
0: three years to do nothing but go to Rufus Sport and try to learn to fight. And that one is not even an opportunity he really asked for, as we learned later. It was like he was just sort of idly talking about it, and the UFC phoned him up and was like, Are you serious? Because if you're serious, we'll sign you to a contract right now.
1: So yeah, he gets to go in there. He does his thing. It doesn't work out. He goes back into retirement. He's gone for another, you know, whatever amount of time it was. And then AEW gets started. At first, he's he's critical of the company. He's like, oh, this is going to be a disaster. This is not going to work out. I don't out of business. Uh, it turns into a, a going concern. And then all of a sudden, CM Punk wants, wants a shot. He wants to get up there. He wants to do it. Guess what? They gave him the opportunity. He came in there once again, starts working, does all this stuff. Oh, world is still out to get CM Punk. And so he gets in multiple backstage and sometimes uh, front of house, I guess you could say, both fracases and feuds and all this other stuff, and now he has been fired again. So I guess we're just waiting to see what else CM Punk wants to do, what other opportunity will be granted to him that he can then go in uh, and act, uh, you know, spoiled and, and petulant and, and get fired from, from that too.
0: Going to run for president is what I'm here. I mean, sh-
1: might as well. That's the way it's going over there. Gonna run the for president, for
0: win, get impeached in the first six months, take his ball and go home. Sounds like a Philip Jack Brooks
1: thing to do. In any case, remember you're listening to the Co Main Event podcast proper. We will get to the MMA talk here in a moment. His shot. This show drops every Monday afternoon for free in your timelines and podcast libraries. But that's not all. You can also find the Co Main Event, Ben Folks, and myself all week over on Patreon. Hit us up at patreon.com/co-main-event. Get loads of extra content, both audio and visu- video, visual. You can get the visual on us if you want to see it. Plus, you get access to our official Discord message board. The best people in MMA are over there chatting it up 24-7, 365 on any number of topics. And the only rule over on the message board, which I think uh, sets this message board apart from almost everything else in MMA, because the only rule is no assholes. Yeah. That'll, that'll come up again later in the show. Um, spoiler alert, we'll be talking about Sean Strickland. Uh, if that sounds good to you, but you're not totally sold, you can also sign up for a seven-day free trial of the Patreon at our $5 level. It's a great chance to check out a week's worth of the content over there and decide if you want to take the plunge and sign up for real. And if you can, you know how to do it. Uh, we can only keep making the podcast with the support of you, our awesome listeners. Come party with us! We think it's the best, smartest, most welcoming group of men and women talking fights online. So head over to Patreon.com/comainevent and sign up to join the team. You could also consider buying some of our merchandise. Just head over to our merch shop at comainevent.com. Click the link in the top right-hand corner of the screen that says "Shop." That'll get you there. You'll find. All the old originals, the favorites, the Dundasso t-shirt design, the old school cowboy astronaut cigarettes, merch, and a lot of new stuff too. We got the bestseller on the market, the Bobby Nuck shirt. We got, are you fucking kidding me shirts? Uh, You can get a daddest man on the planet mug. Give that to your dad or uncle or friend, anybody who has kids that you you need a cool uh, present for them. You could get a daddest man on the planet coffee mug. Uh, You can also get the brand new shirt, the Volcomania shirt. All of that is available at comanevent.com, click the link at the top of the page that says Shop. We are partnering on the shop with our friends at Studio Superconductor. They are a brand and design studio. We can't recommend them highly enough for all your design needs. Hit them up at studiosuperconductor.com or on Instagram at studio superconductor. We got music this week from our guy Dennis Fam, a self-described quote day one comaniac. Hell yeah! From from San Diego. He writes a song every few years, he says. You can find his single, The Fire, right now on Spotify and Apple Music and all of the other major streaming platforms. Three rounds, as usual, this week in the Co-Main Event Podcast. In round number one, Cyril gone back. Cyril gone back, or at least as back as he can be under the circumstances. And in round number two, if everybody could just stop punching each other in the nuts and the guts... For five minutes, we might have Israel Adesanya fight Sean Strickland this weekend at UFC 293. And in round number three, the UFC once again tracks to the land down under. And what else on this card looks like a Bobby Dazzler? All that plus are you fucking kidding me and just saying stuff. But first, like we always do about this time, let's do a little bit of listener mail.
0: Listener mail. You say Bobby Dazzler? Bobby Dazzler. Okay. All right. That's That's a uh, new one for me.
1: I can tell you you're not up on the slang from uh, from the land down under, from down there in Australia.
0: You know, ever since my trip there a few years ago to cover uh, Israel Adesanya versus Bobby Knuckles, uh, I'm still trying to figure out what was meant by the sign outside banning people from doing any bananas or big torps. <laughs> still bananas, don't know what that tums. is.
1: Toss a Bobby Dazzler in there. You'll be in business. Uh, first piece of listener mail this week comes to us from Brandon Boyd on Patreon He writes, Conor McGregor received his BJJ black belt this week as someone who has never rolled before, but somewhat understands the amount of training that goes into getting a black belt. My first thought was, but he can't stop a takedown. (laughs) Could the resident CME BJJ correspondent explain how someone who appears to be a blue belt was able to attain a black belt all while sailing the world on a yacht instead of being in the gym? Ben, folks, he's talking to you. He's not talking to me. You're the CME BJJ Correspondent, break this one down for us.
0: Here's what I'll say. There are black belts, and then there are black belts. And never the twain shall meet. That There are people who are black belt level, who go compete in black belt divisions in major tournaments and hold their own, all that kind of stuff. And then there are people who just put the time in and who, you know, gradually progress to that level. They're black belts, but they're not elite grapplers or anything by any means that's just kind of how it is these days in Brazilian jiu-jitsu across the world so I don't know that you can sit here and be like there's no way Conor McGregor is a black belt we don't know what he's been doing in the gym it does seem like he's getting a lot of workouts in on the deck of the yacht that's that's at least the image that he is projecting for us we don't know what the actual work has been like. He's certainly been doing martial arts long enough that he could very well be a black belt. Like, it's not like, you know, it's been two years or something like that. It's, it's completely feasible that he could be sort of mid-level gym type black belt, even though that's clearly never going to be his main shit. Also, I would tell Brandon Boyd, you might be surprised how many black belts out there do not have great wrestling. You know, that's a different game really than, uh, especially the a lot of the old school BJJ guys where takedowns and stuff were kind of an afterthought in a lot of ways. And they, they did not hone that part of their game first. So that alone, I won't say. It does though seem a little bit like kind of the thing where we see somebody go out there, get a knockout and their coach comes in and gives them a black belt. And we go, he didn't even do any fucking grappling. You just made up in your mind that if he won, you were going to give him a black belt, which fine, you know? It's At this point, there was a time where having a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt felt like a different sort of black belt than all other martial arts. Remember that? When it was like, that was a fucking legit ass thing. There were not that many of them in the world. We would look at, look down, look askance at the karate black belt. You know, the taekwondo black belt. It was like, oh, sure. What? You know, your dad paid for the lesson, so you got the black belt. And... Now, jujitsu has turned a little bit more into that. It's just sort of a natural progression as it's become more popular worldwide. And I think that's mostly fine. I think we'll figure... The one thing I do want to know about this, did you see, Chad, did you happen to see this last week? The news that Demetrius Johnson, Mighty Mouse, one of the pound-for-pound all-time greats this sport has ever known, I think won his division in the worlds at jiu-jitsu in the brown belt division. Chad, mighty mouse is out there competing in the brown belt division. Now you are not going to sit here and with a straight face. Tell me that mighty mouse is a brown belt in the same martial arts discipline in which Conor McGregor is a black belt. Yeah. No, sir. Yeah. No, sir. I say, yeah, yeah,
1: well, I think in large part it depends in many cases on where you get the black belt, right? Like, uh if I'm not mistaken, it was John Kavanaugh. Yeah. Connor McGregor's longtime coach. The legit
0: black belt himself.
1: Yeah. Who gave him the black belt? Is the man who would be responsible for giving Demetrius Johnson his black belt, Matt Hume? Probably. I mean, just compare those two and tell me which one is the bigger hard ass, which one (laughs) is going to be, which one is going to be like, you're not quite there, Demetrius. You need to work on your fundamentals. Like, cause it ain't Kavanaugh. Okay. A guy who probably owes his entire professional living career and middling fame to Conor McGregor. Whereas Matt Hume, I bet has more of an old school. uh, We're not going to give it to you. Until we're really one hundred and fifty percent sure that you that you earned it,
0: I will not argue that Matt Hume is definitely the bigger hard ass of, of, and probably one of the bigger hard asses in all of martial arts. Yeah. However, the question I would ask of Matt Hume is, what would you like to see? What do you need to see out yeah, of Demetrius like, Johnson's Demetrius game? Johnson.
1: Throws a guy up in the air and arm bars him on the way down, and you're like, pretty good for a brown belt.
0: Yeah, he pretty. basically invented a new submission that only <laughs> he can pull off. And you're like, I don't know, I'd like to see your footlocks come around a little more. I'd like to see you be more of a leader in the gym. Like, what the fuck do you need to see out of that guy? Also, look, I like Demetrius Johnson both as a person, have immense respect for him as a fighter, felt like he has never gotten the due he deserved as an MMA fighter. Therefore, I am not going to be the type of person who sits here and accuses Demetrius Johnson of being a sandbag and son of a bitch. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. Yeah. Another person, uh, a lesser enlightened person than myself, Chad, uh, more of a bomb throwing personality than, than yours truly might perhaps make that accusation.
1: I mean, I don't care what level you're at blue belt purple belt black belt brown belt if you show up to the competition and Demetrius Johnson is in your bracket I'd be so pissed that's probably one you want to draw a circle around no matter what your level
0: is somebody brown belt had been training their ass off for worlds (laughs) got there looked at the bracket saw Demetrius Johnson was like it can't be the same Demetrius Johnson can it like it first round opponent is Demetrius Johnson Johnson's a common enough last name, Demetrius a little less so, but there's just no way. There's just no way one of the all-time fucking greats is in my brown belt division. Like, that's for somebody where they you've been training like seven to nine years, maybe, and you get in there, and you're just like, it can't be. It just can't. And then you get out on the mats, and you see Demetrius Johnson with his two swollen fists on the side of his face, standing there in his gi and his brown ass belt, and you're just like, this is (laughs) bullshit.
1: (laughs) Are you trying to tell me that that most BJJ brown belts at these tournaments have not tapped out Ray Borg? (laughs) Right? (laughs) Probably have not
0: invented their own submissions that only they can do on live TV.
1: Most of them have an armbarred Kyoji Horiguchi. You think that's that's the case? They have an armbarred uh, John Moraga?
0: There's a chance.
1: Yeah, You think there's a chance they did that? They didn't go out there and choke out Damasio Page at WEC 52 to 13 years ago? 13 years ago, working his way up what to What was Brown he belt.
0: 13 years? Are you telling me he was a, a white belt then? Might, was he yeah, a blue belt? Been. Maybe he's Matt been Hume. hanging
1: out at Brown Belt for like a decade, and Matt Hume just won't give him the black
0: Matt Hume just looking at him, shaking his head, and just being like, "I don't know. I feel like uh, your top game is solid. Nobody denies that. But uh, wither wh- the open guard. How's your day, Hiva? I just feel like I need to see a little bit more variety." Yeah.
1: Anyway, I just feel like it's an honorary black belt for Conor McGregor. It's like when you bring, a, you know, a famous athlete to your campus and you give him an honorary agree it might it might be the same with conor mcgregor we'll just have to wait i'll we'll just, I'll wait just remind it.
0: conor mcgregor of something that uh conan silvera once told me which is that the only thing a black belt is good for is to keep your pants up the black belt never want to fight yeah just saying pretty
1: solid uh next question this week comes to us from the off-white power ranger he writes do you find it a tad bit concerning that trevor whitman was nowhere to be seen in rose nama Yunus's corner She, in fact, has her own new camp now led by trainer slash predator slash husband Pat Barry. Instead of having the cut man or doctor address her dislocated finger after round one, Barry told her she didn't need a finger. Are we witnessing the end of Rose as a legit contender in any division if this is her backing? Now, I don't know if that we want to get back into the Pat Barry thing. Opinions are all over the board on how we should think about him and his relationship with Rose Namajunas. I will say this though, it is usually not great for star MMA fighters to break away from their original camps and start new camps where they are the top dog and they are the people paying the bills. And it is usually not great. No matter what the gender of either side of the equation is, it is usually not great when an MMA fighter puts their spouse yeah. In charge of anything, whether that be manager managerial duties, whether it be uh, training, whether it be, you know, running the business side of things, whatever it is, it generally just seems like that's, that's not great for the future. And yeah. Rose Namajunas is a great fighter. She's always been at the top of the division. She's been there for a long time. She's got great wins. She's a person that we think super highly of. And I'm not in love with the decision to make to break from Trevor Whitman, who we all agree is one of the best coaches in the game and uh, do this sort of a solo thing. I I feel like that's just our, no matter the personalities involved, I feel like that usually doesn't work out.
0: Yeah. About Trevor Whitman specifically, I would say, I don't know that we've ever seen anybody get better and have a a better career after leaving Trevor Whitman. And uh, I don't know if he always gets the credit he deserves for that, but uh, you can look back and you see a lot of those guys who left him and then came back to him later because they realized he was an important piece of their training camp. Nate Marquardt being one of those guys who broke away, came back. Uh, but also if you look around some people who broke away and then things didn't go great for them afterwards, I mean, I'm just going to throw out the name Brendan Shop. Uh So that's for one thing. I, I don't think anybody benefits from losing Trevor Whitman. But also the, the question of having a spouse or a partner in your corner You're right, that I don't think it's ever a good idea. And I, you know, I did that story a while ago about why fighters so often tend to end up in relationships with other fighters, especially female fighters who tend to end up in relationships with older male fighters or coaches, like older male fighters who serve as coaches or their actual coaches. And it creates a weird dynamic for them that I think is exhausting to both the personal relationship and the fighter-coach relationship. And I remember... Hearing about this from Brian Caraway and Misha Tate back when they were a couple and Brian Caraway had been her coach for many years and then he kind of handed over those duties to the late Robert Follis when they were at Extreme Couture and the way Robert Follis explained it to them was that you're just putting so much strain on yourselves by having this these sort of dueling dynamics at work because the coach has to be able to be the boss in the gym. But you can't go home and be the boss in a romantic relationship. you got to have at least somewhat equal partnership. And the way he explained it was, basically what you're doing is you're taking a full glass of water and you're holding it out from your body with your arms straight out. Now, can you do that for five minutes? Sure, you probably can. Can you do it all day? Probably not. You're creating this, this extra strain that is going to prove to be too much. And it's it's going to have effects on both relationships. And I think he's absolutely right about that. I don't think it's ever a good idea. Turns out yeah. also she did need that finger. Like I, that made a difference, having a finger <laughs> that was working or not.
1: Yeah. You know, the, Rose has marched to the beat of her own drummer for a while in this yeah. sport. Her future has always been somewhat in question, at least for the last several years. It doesn't really surprise me that much that she would do this thing with Pat Berry just because they have always kind of been uh, apart from the crowd. And so uh, I don't know. We'll just see where it leads her. But it's it's concerning to me anytime that sort of thing happens, especially when you get initial results that maybe aren't uh, positive, right? You, You come in, you lose a fight, you have an injury, doesn't get addressed, et cetera, et cetera. Next question this week comes to us from Steph, who writes, I haven't checked the MMA news wires yet today, but I thought you'd be curious about this for a future discussion. Basically, Steph includes a link here to the story about the Saudi Arabian, I believe it's the general fund, buying a stake in the PFL, which happened, I think, last week. Uh, They go on to say it "It fits nicely into your regular discussion of how long before the UFC is sold to the Saudis. few articles we'll find on MMA fighting, BE, or uh, MMA junkie, uh, will explain what the Vision, or Vision 2030 is all about, but the context of this purchase within the larger strategy is an interesting point of discussion beyond simply labing, labeling it as sports, wa- sports washing, which to be fair, it absolutely is. If you want to know more to help understand, have a peek at this. So I first found out that PFL was looking for uh, some some money, some Middle Eastern money to come in from uh, what would essentially be a, a governmental entity a couple weeks ago, just because a, a listener of the podcast sent me a, a news story about it. And then I saw pretty quickly after that that the Saudis had had bought into the PFL at some level. Uh, now, Vision 2030 is basically uh, the crown prince slash prime minister of Saudi Arabia, MBS, who you probably have heard of before, sometimes in not the greatest light, uh, Mohammed bin uh, Salman, who... Has a, the Vision 30 program is basically his plan to thrust Saudi Arabia into the the modern world to be to raise its profile uh, uh, worldwide to sort of distance itself from Western conventions of what the traditional Middle East is all about and kind of establish Saudi Arabia as a uh, modern quote unquote progressive. Uh, pro player in the world, basically someone who's a a nation that's on par with the United States with, you know, any European nation, any uh, South American nation that is considered sort of like a big cultural force in the world. And so Saudi Arabia has been spending a lot of money in a lot of different areas, sports being one of them, art being another one, I think that they have gone all in on some architecture, other things like that. Uh, But that's basically what it is. And clearly, I would think buying into the PFL would be an incredibly small part of that.
0: Like yes, a, yeah, like
1: one percent of one well, percent of the portfolio, but it is still uh, meaningful here in the in the smaller context of our sport for sure.
0: Yeah, small to Saudi Arabia and part yeah. of as part of big their grand for the vision. PFL. Very big for the PFL and therefore potentially big for MMA as well. Uh, and, it, you know, you talk about how you feel like it's only a matter of time for the Saudis or somebody buys the UFC, you might could see this as maybe dipping a toe into the waters and seeing how it feels. Um, the This link that Steph sent us here about the 2030 vision of Saudi Arabia, where it lays out these three pillars, uh, being an ambitious nation with a thriving economy and a vibrant society. Um, And sort of changing not only its image, but also like it's diversifying its economy, which, you know, uh, you might say makes a fair bit of sense if you're looking around as an oil rich kingdom and being like, "Ooh, wait, is it running out? Is it running out, and also is the world maybe moving um, away from fossil fuels, or at least hoping to? We might want to start planning for that eventuality, for both eventualities. Uh, I don't think anybody over in Saudi Arabia thinks that the key to doing that is buying a, a stake in the PFL. I think that there's a whole bunch of people who probably involved in it who don't even know what the PFL does or, let's say, are not acquainted with the intricacies of the smart cage exactly, you know, are just sort of like, okay, we're buying into another small-time sports property um, and relatively cheaply. But, yeah, I mean, I think that if you're the PFL and you're looking around to be like, how do we get bigger from here? How do we move from, you know, already where they've gone from being Number three behind Bellator to being in contention for number two to now pretty much possessing sole ownership of number two in the MMA space. Those are significant improvements for a company like the PFL to make. How do you, though, close the what has been in the past 15 years at least enormous gap between number one and number two? That's the part nobody else has been able to figure out. So if they're looking around for some investment funds, they're like, hey, we need a little bit more of that Shane Burgos money. To go out there and pick us up some free agents when the opportunity presents itself, you probably see something like this as a big part of that.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, everybody wants that Saudi money. PFL is by, far from alone in this uh, move that it has decide to, decided to make. They're going to have the uh, Francis Nganu Tyson Fury fight in Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia. Invested heavily, or in somebody's words, bought the uh, PGA, Professional Golf Association, recently. There's a lot of uh, Saudi money going around. I know that the British prime ministers have an MBS come over there to meet, to discuss some some possible investment. And human rights people in Britain are a little bit up in arms about that. And so it's this is a this is an interesting and in some ways concerning for some people trend in the world right now. Uh, But I don't think it will stop happening unless people just decide they don't want that money. And when was the last time somebody did that? When was the last time somebody decided they didn't want that money? So we'll keep track of it. Could be a big deal for the PFL. We'll just have to wait, I guess, to see how things play out in that regard. Uh, That is going to do it for listener mail this week. If you have a question, comment, or concern that you would like to air to the podcast in future weeks, you know how to do it. Go to the website comainevent.com and click the link in the top right hand corner of the screen that says email the podcast that'll get you in touch with us as for right now we are going to go ahead and get started with round number one. Well, Ben, Cyril Ghosn came into this fight against Sergei Spivak just one and two in his last three. He had that UFC 270 heavyweight championship fight against Francis Ngannou that felt like he kind of let slip through his fingers in terms of uh, allowing Francis Ngannou to storm back to cl- claim that unanimous decision win back in January of 2022. He put up a third-round KO of Tai Tuivasa Uh, That following September, but then this March at UFC 285 had just the disastrous performance against John Jones in their heavyweight title fight, uh, getting choked out by Jones in just two minutes and four seconds in a fight where he really looked like it was his first day at the gym. It really exploited some of his takedown deficiencies, takedown defense deficiency, I should say some of his submission defense, perhaps deficiencies and Should have really been a back to the drawing board situation for Cyril gone? Well, he contends it was and says that he came out and made some changes, you know, changed his focus a little bit is trying to close up those holes in his game. And I'll tell you what, he did look pretty good against spivak this past weekend shut down what few grappling attempts spivak did make managed to force this mostly into a stand-up fight and looked like vintage cyril gone the whole time it was happening ends with a win in the second round uh 344 into that round tko that was really pretty clear cut from the beginning it wasn't really like sergey spivak had much here for cyril gone which i think just reminds you that, hey, man, like it was no fluke that Cyril Gone was 10-0 and 0 and rattled off a bunch of wins in a row in the UFC, won the interim heavyweight title back in 2021. If you let this guy stay on his feet and move around in front of you, he's pretty goddamn good, actually.
0: Yeah, uh, especially he is really goddamn good when he is able to control that distance because he unlike a lot of heavyweights that we've seen who are known for their striking prowess, is not out there trying to hit home runs all the time. He is out there working that jab in your face and working, just chipping away at your body with front kicks and doing good body work throughout a fight that definitely pays dividends. You could see a couple rounds in Sergey Spivak getting that look on his face like, stop poking me in the belly with your goddamn foot. I don't like it. And... The thing about this fight is when you let Cyril Ghan do Cyril Ghan's stuff, you're dead. He he gonna he's just got better movement on the outside. You're you're not gonna be able to trap him against the fence just by, you know, cutting off the cage and walking him down. He he's he's got too much for you when you're fighting him at that long range. I just still don't know if we answered any questions about Cyril Gahn's grappling ability because yeah. Sergey Spivak. He started out doing more striking with Cyril Ghosn than I expected him to. This is always the question people get into. It's the same question that we wondered when, you know, Curtis Blades went out there before. And it was just like, okay, do you want to go out there and uh, wrestle uh, a guy who probably a better striker than you? I mean, eventually, but you don't want to go out there and shoot for a takedown right away because it basically tells that guy you got nothing on the feet. <laughs> You don't want any part of it. And takedowns are a lot easier to stop when you know they're coming and when they're out in space like that. And the guys, you 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 may feel like, I got to go out here, get his respect striking-wise, get him thinking about that, and then I'll take him down. But that never happened. And the first couple takedowns Sergei Spivak tried were kind of bending over at the waist, reaching for a leg, out in open space. And yeah. that is just not how you're going to get... I mean, you might have a lack of respect for Cyril Gon's defensive wrestling game if you think that that's the way you're going to get him down and get it into a realm that he can't handle. And so it was like, you know, he got close on a single leg kind of against the fence at one point and Cyril Gon managed to... to ha- He had good defense there and and put some strikes on him to get force him to give it up. But do you come away from this fight being like, the holes in Cyril Gon's game are fixed. No problems from here on out. No, I do not.
1: Okay. Uh, sometimes in this sport, we act like fighters are. Not immortal, but we act like they they don't have a ceiling in terms of their ability, right? We act like, oh, if this guy would just go to the gym and Mm -hmm. train this one aspect, then he would be unstoppable without any real realistic admission about what their background is, how old they are, how athletic they are, what their general aptitude might be. We just regard them as like pieces of clay that can be molded into anything you want without reservation. And a lot of times that's just not true. Not to say that Cyril Gon doesn't have this ability because he looks very athletic. He looks very capable. Uh, Every time that we see him, he's obviously one of the best strikers in that division, if not the best striker. But he's 33 years old. He doesn't come from a traditional wrestling background. He's not George St. Pierre. He's not, you know, I don't, who knows if he'd ever done any organized wrestling before getting into the to the UFC. And closing the wrestling holes in your game is one of the most difficult things yeah. to do. It's. It seems like it is maybe the most difficult discipline to close the gap between yourself and someone who has been doing it all their lives. And so- you can go out there and look real good against Sergey Spivak, but it's going to be hard to erase that memory for us of Francis Ngannou, also not a wrestler. A person who, in fact, eschewed wrestling for a long time, would look at it and would say, I'm not rolling around on the ground with those other guys. I will stand up and knock them out. Uh, he went out there and, and nominated Cyril Gon for a few rounds with his wrestling when he had a severely injured knee Uh And so that that's going to be a hard memory for us to shake. And that is the thing that I think raises the most questions for me about Cyril gone is that as long as the champion is John Jones, you are going to be forced to stop some pretty good takedowns unless you go out there and essentially knock him out with one shot, which again is also not the skill that Cyril gone seems to have. So this is, this is a comeback fight for him, but I also don't know what his real prospects are here. So long as, as Johnny bones remains the champion.
0: Yeah, that's fair because you look around at the top of this division right now, I see some interesting fights for Cyril Gon up there. I mean, you book uh Cyril Gon versus uh, Sergey Pavlovich, Tom Aspinall, all of these kind of, I mean, there's there's some interesting action happening among some of the younger fellas in the heavyweight division right now. Maybe the best thing that could happen to a fellow like Cyril Gon, however, is that John Jones follows through on this promise slash threat to walk away after he fights Stipe Miosic. I still, I'm on record saying he might walk away, but he's not going to stay away. Yeah, I don't think he could stand it walking away at this point and seeing some of these other guys go out there and call themselves the UFC heavyweight champion. Um, I, I think though, if you're still gone, the, the best chance you have is that fight goes down John Jones wins. John Jones lays the gloves down in the cage afterwards, says, thanks for all the cheese. I'm going home. And the UFC has to turn right around and be like, okay, Cyril Ghosn versus Sergey Pavlovich. That's what, that's the fight. And then you, you have a much more winnable matchup for you.
1: Well, and Cyril Ghosn got called out by Tom Aspinall in the wake of this thing, which is two very athletic heavyweights, that is a fight I would not argue with at all. I would love to yeah. see those guys fight each other. So maybe that is an immediate opportunity or direction for Cyril Gon to go in while we wait for John Jones to to retire, essentially. Just like maybe Cyril Gone is mailing John Jones pamphlets for like nice resorts in Florida. Yeah, Just like, wow, is. Johnny, I found out about these timeshares down there in Boca. <laughs> Have you seen this shit? Look at the pool, my guy. Can you imagine? Just laying out all day. Sipping a cocktail, yeah. Reading your reading a book. just like you know sitting by the there's pool. a
0: there's a cruise you can do to Croatia, yeah? Uh, and all all the stuff, the food, the drinks are all included. My man, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. All inclusive.
1: You can come out the mouth of a king cobra snake if you go down the water slide. Make your just make your full time home in Abu Dhabi. Move out to Dubai. What do you think about that, John?
0: And then and I'm going to tell you that. what if he gets that if Cyril Gaunt ends up with that Tom Aspinall fight. Big Tom ain't gonna go 60 seconds into that fight without shooting a takedown. (laughs) Believe it. Yeah.
1: All right. Let's uh let's do Are You Fucking Kidding Me? And then we will move on to round number two. Man, this week Rampage Jackson he came out and made a big fight announcement.
0: Oh god. Said
1: he's uh he's coming back, he is gonna fight at the UFL. He said this on the Jackson podcast, J-A-X-X-O-N. I am not going to click on the link to find out what that is. I'm looking at the Jed Mayshu transcription on MMA fighting. Rampage, he said he would only come back. He was only going to come back to fight in the UFL if they if they found him a quote-unquote grudge match. They got him a grudge match. So here's what he's going to do. Here's, here's what Rampage announced that is going to be his next fight. He's going to go out there, Ben... Rampage Jackson is going to go out there and he is going to fight titties <laughs> he's fighting titties Ben Rampage Jackson versus titties the grudge match we've all been waiting years for Daryl Shunover if you didn't there's th- more people are current fans of MMA who were not around yeah when Rampage Jackson and Daryl Shunover had their ultimate fighter feud then do remember it. I'm convinced of that. Most of us have died off, like the dinosaurs, people who were alive to watch this season of The Ultimate Fighter. In a nutshell, Quentin Rambage Jackson got himself into a feud when he was a coach on The Ultimate Fighter. Yeah. Daryl Schoonover was a contestant by essentially making fun of his man-on-the-street build by nicknaming him Titties, which we all had a lot of fun with back then. Nah, it's 2023, man. Are you fucking kidding me? We're going to have Rampage Jackson settle the score with titties some fucking 11 years later or whatever it is. Just like fucking titties, dude. Come on. It's, you know what? That is beneath even Rampage. (laughs) A depth I never thought we would get to, but here we are. Are you fucking kidding me, dude? Titties. We're going to fight Daryl Schoenover. Get the fuck out of here.
0: First of all, I want to point out that a quick glance at Daryl Schunover's Tapology page informs us that he last fought in 2015 when he lost via disqualification at Rock's Extreme MMA nineteen. So that's 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 where his MMA career was kind of stalled out, it seems. Second of all, according to Tapology, his nickname is the boss, to which I would say, no, it isn't. No, it isn't. We all know what his nickname is. Rampage forced it upon him. That is the whole reason why this is even a thought as a grudge match. Third and lastly of all, don't it just say something about this sport that a grudge match could legitimately be based on the fact that one time one guy made the other guy mad by calling him titties. (laughs) That's all. A, that's all yeah. it is. That's all. That's mm-hmm. here. Yep. We're gonna build a fight around it, a fight that no one wants or needs to see. Titties, dude. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> fucking kidding me? But Chad, this week, my, are you fucking kidding me? So Cyril Gon had himself a good weekend, but also a bad weekend. Mm-hmm. It seems, according to reports, that while Cyril Gon was out there in Acor Arena granddaddy of a all in Paris, France, beating up Sergei Spivak in the main event, thieves were robbing his home. Now, apparently this is a known thing to happen to a lot of pro athletes over there in Europe because it's like, they know you ain't home. Yeah. They know mm-hmm. it. They know you are busy elsewhere. And so they target your house, go in there, rob all this fancy shit you got, Mr. Pro Athlete. Apparently it's happened to a lot of famous uh, soccer players over there, especially in France, and especially even uh, in the, the Paris Saint-Germain uh, team that uh, has often been targeted. Especially if they know you're out of town. Um, First of all, are you fucking kidding me? That's some cold-ass shit. Cold-ass shit. Fucking... Go rob a fucking oil tycoon or something. Go rob somebody who's rich for bad reasons. <laughs> you know, rob one of those people who is sitting on a great fortune due to a great crime. You know, there's plenty of those people around. Rob they ass when they out there in Turks and Caicos or whatever, uh coming out the mouth of the Cobra and in Fight Island, whatever. Do do that shit. You gonna go and rob Cyril Gunn, a guy who All the shit he got, he paid for in blood, his own or someone else's. Are you fucking kidding me? But also, at some point, Chad, these pro athletes need to spartan up. They need to be like, look, I'm going to make a point of getting on my Instagram, getting on my Twitter, getting on my goddamn LinkedIn if I have to, and be like, all right, headed off to my fight. Um, just going to lock up turn on my security system, and leave a bunch of poisonous snakes all over the floor of my home. And, you know, can't wait to get back home to my coterie of uh, attack cheetahs. Uh, the the pet polar bear that I let, I let him wander around the living room when I'm gone. He likes to stretch out and enjoy the space. Like, just make a point. Have a friend watch the crib something, man. You, you know that they know you're not home. Yeah. Are you fucking kidding me? You're fucking kidding me.
1: I would think there are better people to rob, man. You know? Don't rob someone who hurts people for a living. Cyril Gon seems like a wonderful guy. Probably going to call the cops. When if he finds out it was you, he's probably not going to beat you up in the street. But th- he might. You better hope he doesn't <laughs> find out it was you. Yeah, you just, better hope. I would rob a fucking ventriloquist.
0: You know? Well, I don't rob, think rob this was a else. crime that you planned with thinking about what if we get caught? Like, I think that this was one where you're like, we better not get caught. Um, also to your point about Cyril gone's a nice guy. going to call the cops. Uh, I don't know if you saw Dana white talking about posting like, you know, doorbell cam footage of somebody trying to kick in the door of one of his houses, the one of the houses that he doesn't live in fucking every man, Dana white. Uh, and then, you know, him getting real tough guy about it afterwards. Like, you don't want to come to my house. Nothing, nothing good good's going to happen to you at my house. Motherfucker, you're going to call the cops. That's what yeah. you're going to do. Like, don't be out here playing gangster. We remember when your favorite stripper tried to fucking extort you. You called the cops is what yeah. you did. Like I'll a reasonable person. You're not out here like fucking Joe Pesci in Goodfellas. You know, you're not out here digging holes in the, in the Nevada desert like it's casino. You're calling the cops fucking stop it that's
1: gonna do it for round number one we'll be right back With with round number two
0: Well, Chad, UFC 293 going to go down on Sunday over there in the other hemisphere on Saturday night here in the one true time zone, main evented by Israel Adesanya, newly reminted as UFC middleweight champion, and going to defend his title after this huge big buildup of a grudge match against Strikas Duplicis against Sean Strickland, who is also in the middleweight division. <laughs> Not exactly the first choice Uh, that anybody, I think, had on their list. Uh, Obviously, we wanted to do Israel Adesanya versus DDP. Uh, DDP, I think, somewhat wisely went, "Mm, I was already hurt going into this Bobby Knuckles fight. Kind of rolled the dice there, and it worked out. Not going to turn right around if your body's not ready for it and fight the best middleweight in the world just because it's on the UFC's calendar that, shit, man, we're going to Australia we got to have one of our Australian stars fight and they want Israel Adesanya versus TBD. I think probably smart of, of Dreyka's to be like, I'm not going to put a lesser version of myself into what is already going to be a tough ass fight. And so instead Sean Strickland, the guy who is just sort of hanging around down the street from the UFC apex all the time, it seems steps up to take this one. And you tell me if you think I'm wrong, I look at this matchup on paper and what I see is an uphill climb for Sean Strickland.
1: (laughs) Yeah, you don't think it's an advantageous matchup of styles for him?
0: Where does he win it, is my question.
1: You think maybe his biggest qualification for this fight is that he's around?
0: His biggest qualification for this fight was that he said yes, that he picked up the phone and said yes. Yeah. And honestly, and I don't blame him for that at all. Like, that's opportunities have been built on far less and people have capitalized on them in the UFC. Michael Bisping became champ because they needed somebody to step in and fight Luke Rockhold and he landed a good punch and and now gets to walk around saying he was a UFC champion. So that can happen. That absolutely could happen here. But when I think about what Sean Strickland brings to the table against what Israel Adesanya brings to the table, both guys at their best, I don't see how Sean Strickland really does it, man. Because for all the... Psycho killer talk. He is not a power puncher. He is not a vicious finisher in that cage. He's just not known for that. He's known for high output. You know, good cardio, going to keep coming at you, going to keep throwing a whole bunch of stuff at you, Uh, and, and is a lot of times a fairly smart fighter in how he plays to his strengths in that way, and is tough, has a good gas tank, has all that stuff going for him. But here you got Israel Asanya, a guy who really excels when he is the bigger, taller guy who can control the range who can force you into having to solve the problem of the range. Do you stay yeah. on the outside and let him pick you apart? Do you go rushing in and get you know right into the teeth of his offense? Do you try to take him down only to find out that it's a lot harder than you think if you're not like a much bigger dude like somebody like Jan Blahovich was. Like, I just don't see where Sean Strickland has an advantage.
1: Yeah, you never want to say never because we've seen crazy stuff happen in this sport before. Uh, but Sean Strickland has only two fights removed from his back-to-back losing streak. The one where he got just knocked out in a nasty way by Alex Pereira, UFC 276. And then he lost that split decision to Jared Cannonier, which obviously was much closer. Pre- previous to that, he'd won six fights in a row. So he was on a nice little win streak. Uh, the two wins that he has to qualify him for this championship fight are against Nasardeen Imovov and Abu Supyan Magomedov. Those are his wins leading up to this title fight. In fact... Here's what I was just thinking a second ago. What's Sean Strickland's biggest win? What's his best win in the UFC if you just look at the, uh, the 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 history of Sean Strickland? Here are the wins previous before he got knocked out by Alex Pereira. Jack Hermanson, Uriah Hall, Christoph Jotko, Brendan Allen, Jack Marshman, uh, Nordin Taleb. Before that, he had wins over Court McGee, Tom Breeze, Alex Garcia, Igor Araujo, uh, Luke Barnott, and Bubba McDaniel that those are that's the grand total of Sean Strickland's UFC victories. Uh you know ain't no Israel Adesanya on that list, I got to say. Yeah. And so while I think he's he's got a, a minuscule chance, a single digit maybe uh decimal point chance to beat Israel Adesanya, I agree with you. This is a terrible matchup of styles for him. It is a great matchup of styles for Israel Adesanya, and it does seem like Sean Strickland had a, his main qualification was being around, which frankly is what he has hung his hat on in the UFC. He's around, he lives in Las Vegas. If you need somebody to come fight at the Apex, call Strickland. He ain't got nothing else going on Saturday night. <laughs> He'll come down and do it. Uh, and now he's he's kind of worked his way into a title shot by by being around. And it just, it just doesn't seem like he has much shot here, frankly.
0: Now, we're just sort of getting into the fight week buildup. Already, I've seen Sean Strickland popping up saying Sean Strickland stuff. Yeah. Um, He did show up in Australia right away and be like, wow, you guys are a country uh, built by convicts, but you have a nice place here. That was his idea of complimenting his hosts. Um, And then also is still doubling down on claiming that Israel Adesanya is secretly gay and paints his fingernails and all this other stuff. That is just, you know, very much what you, what Sean Strickland would say. (laughs) <laughs> so, and here where you have an opportunity where Israel Adesanya, man, he's begging for you to play the good guy. You're at home, you know, you're, you're in the against this guy who is like his whole thing is trying to be shockingly outrageous all the time. It's He's teeing you up to be the baby face. But also it seems like maybe Israel Adesanya sometimes can't get out of his own way in that regard. Uh, I wanted to read this question that we got from Scott uh, among our listener mail where he writes, did you guys see Izzy's little tirade on how public education is bad making the rounds? Now, listening to a professional cage fighter pontificate on what's wrong with the education system is amusing in and of itself, but I thought the highlight being that teachers are, quote, just in it for a paycheck, like that sweet 35 grand a year public teacher makes is just a gravy train. Thoughts. Now, uh, I found these, the full quotes on it from Bloody Elbow. There's a Bloody Elbow story on this uh, by Zane Simon. And, you know, it starts off, I believe, with Adesanya saying, fuck school. <laughs> so, right, there, I mean, that's how you play to like a 13-year-old demographic, uh, you know, is just like go right out there and be like, fuck school don't listen to your parents. Eat pizza. Stay up late. Um, but he goes on. I don't even know why we still have this whole fucking just this outdated concept of school to just build workers because we know what the fuck school was made for. Why are we pretending? We know school was created to create workers. Bro, what the fuck is X? Bro, I'm still waiting. Still. I'm like, when have I in my life as an adult known what the fuck X is? No fucking idea. A lot of useless information passed on to me in school and I sucked at school because I was shit at memorizing. I didn't lear- really learn anything. Dropouts, as we do. um First of all, uh, about that, I would say some people do uh figure out what x is, and then go on to fields where it's kind of important that they be able to figure that and other shit out. And like the fact that you're you can sit around and look up these Israel Adesanya quotes on a phone means somebody had to solve for x somewhere in there. Like, so I understand that you went to school and was like, mm, Maybe this is not for me, but yeah. the shit is kind of necessary in a lot of ways for a lot of other people. Uh, the other thing is this this quote that that Scott sees on here about how teachers are just in it for the paycheck. Um, I uh, hear the quote here. He says, "School, going there, clocking in, sitting down, watching the teacher write some shit on the board and write, write, write. No one's teaching. Literally, some of these people are just there to cash a paycheck. I've seen it. I was in school. You just see them there. They'll just write shit on the board." Um, first of all, stop saying about any job. These people are just in it for the paycheck. That's what the fuck a job is, man. That's what the fuck a job is. Anytime you go out into the world and anybody does anything for you, whether it's a craft that they really, really care about, whether it's just something like, you know, pouring you a cup of coffee, whether it's fixing your car, well, all this other shit, they're doing it for money because that's the system that we live under. It's either you do that or you live out on the streets. And so everybody got to do something for money, man. And if people have a, a talent in some area and they do that for money, that does not make them bad. It does not make them not good at the thing or make them not care about the thing. And also like his just idea, like maybe the, the the school Israel Adesanya went to was shit. I don't know. But to just be like, no one is teaching. Motherfucker. There's people out there enduring terrible conditions, like work conditions, low pay, the chance that somebody's just going to come in and shoot them at any given moment just just for being there and they're doing it because they want to teach. Yeah.
1: Yeah, I've been this isn't the first time I've heard someone say that public school teachers are just there to get a paycheck, which is fucking outrageous. It doesn't even if you if you want to go into something for the money, meh, teaching was not a great choice. Should have no. done something else. Uh this was supposed to be the DDP fight that we thought was going to be politically politically charged about like apartheid and the nature of what it means to be truly African. And we traded that in (laughs) for this. So we were fucked either way we went, but it is very odd to think that that's what, that's the lead up to the fight we thought we were going to get. And instead we get Sean Strickland enjoying his vacation in Australia and Israel Adesanya saying this stuff about public school. Sean Strickland, by the way, basically showed up and the first thing he did was start bragging about how he punched somebody on the street. He said that uh, he was out walking around in Sydney and someone approached him and they started talking shit. They said, Izzy's going to fuck you up. Strickland said he punched the guy in the stomach. Boom, right in the guts, Strickland said. I'd only been in Australia a day and already I'd committed an assault. Initially, I thought the guy was coming up for a photo because anybody who wants a photo, man, I love the fans. But if you want to come up to me and run your fucking mouth, I'll smack you like I smack anybody else. Uppercut to the stomach. Then I walked away. (laughs) But if I see the guy again, man, no problem. I'll thank him for not pressing charges.
0: Yet. Yeah. I mean, now, maybe. Uh, I mean, this does, though, conjure up for me one of the objectively funniest things to ever happen in mixed martial arts, which was when uh, Fabricio Verdum was in Australia for a UFC event there, and a fan gave him a boomerang in a plastic bag. And then he encountered, was it Colby Covington? uh out on the streets uh and threw the boomerang at him (laughs) and hit him in the head with it while it was still in the bag (laughs) and then had some legal trouble in australia as a result so maybe they don't play about shit like that uh you might just want to watch your steps because it's going to be a long trip back if you have to go make a court appearance you know a couple months from now
1: we, taught, we started all this with uh, Israel Adesanya bragging about how he, he tapped Sean Strickland in the nuts backstage at the UFC. And now we got Sean Strickland punching a random guy on the street in the stomach. I it's still just, don't know it's a whirl- if that's
0: been a whirlwind. If that nut tap shit is, did he say dick? I think he might have said dick. I think he said yeah. I hit him in the dick. And I still don't know if that's meant to be literal or figurative. I still have yeah. no concept of it.
1: Well, and who knows if Sean Strickland is telling the truth about this either. But anyway, that's going to do it for round number two. We will be right back with round number three. Ben I'm going to start round three here with this. Listener mail we got from Nolan Drafal who writes, "Is UFC 293 the worst card on paper in recent memory? There's a title on the line, but the champ is more than a seven to one favorite, and there are no other fights of consequence. Vasa is a fun dude, but he's coming off two losses and fighting a guy in Volkov who is good but will never be the champ. Manuel Cape, his initial opponent dropped out because Cape. Am I saying that guy's name right? I feel like I was. I I think so. Okay, Cape has the." worst lunch, worst luck in the world. So now he's facing a UFC debutante and who cares about the other two fights? Seriously. I'm wondering if you guys didn't work in the MMA space, what would you be willing to pay for this pay-per-view 2030 anything? And maybe I'm giving them too much credit because I assume they've researched this and ruled it out as making good business sense. But have you guys thought about how it would be if the UFC charged card specific pay-per-view prices? I think it'd be kind of dope. Happy labor day. And thanks for all you do. Uh, I have seen in a comedic way, my old coworker, Jonathan Snowden at times will post a UFC card along with the dollar value of what he would pay to watch either fight or fight. And then he comes up with what the price of the pay-per-view should be. And I think a buffet style would be a, a, an interesting way. Oh, to like Yeah. To both charge and pay, uh, for a UFC pay-per-view. But what you're also saying is, do you think they would ever consider charging us less for one of these things? Right. Because if they want to charge us more, they will. They've done that in the past. And so what you're really asking in that question is like, would you do you think they would ever consider giving us a cut rate deal on a cut rate pay-per-view? And the answer to that question is never in your fucking life will they do that. <laughs> never, ever, ever will they do that.
0: Well, they don't have any incentives to do it now. Right. Because it's for one thing. The deal with ESPN means that ESPN is setting these pay-per-view prices. And, you know, the UFC might have some input on it. But it's why ESPN, we're raising the price $5 every fucking year like clockwork. Um, because ESPN is paying a flat fee for all of them, regardless of whether anybody buys them or not. And then, you know, the UFC is going to get some money on top of that, depending on how many people do buy it. But they get the set amount of money just for putting on the show. So that that changes up the incentive somewhat. I think a way more realistic future scenario for how pay-per-views and how we pay for and consume them might change is something more like a yearly subscription model where you pay this one fee and you get all the events. And uh, I mean, who knows what that then does to pay the quality of pay-per-views though. Uh, You know, this one, this whole Australian fight card, it did seem like the UFC decided first, we're going to Sydney on this date. We'll figure out with what later. You know, we'll figure out what the card is going to be later. We know that as soon as the shit goes on sale, it's going to sell out. And they're right. It is going to sell out. They, they have a rabid fan base there. It's a place that you go to seldom enough that they're really stoked to see you when you come back. They 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 love they have a whole bunch of fighters from the region. They know you're probably going to pack it with some of those guys. They're just going to buy up the tickets because they know they're, those tickets aren't going to be around if you wait to see who's on the card. And so then the UFC kind of was like, okay, we'll get around to filling out the card. But also, you're so tied to the calendar and the schedule at this point that, hey, you wanted to make Israel Adesanya versus Dreykus Duplices. Couldn't do it. So you have to go to a backup plan there. You may have wanted a f- couple other fights that would be both of general and local interest. Maybe you couldn't do those. And so the next thing you know, you end up with a fight card where eh, there's not a ton jumping out at you. Even the main yeah. event feels like a plan B. Uh, it feels kind of one-sided. You're You're really relying on personalities to sell it. Further down the card, it's like, okay, you know. This is sort of what you would expect. Okay, you're going to Australia. You're going to throw Tai Tuivasa on there, if, if that's at all possible. You're going to throw, you know, uh, a Pedro and a Tafa in at us. You could get some of those guys in there, but there's nothing that you look at this and you'd be like, okay, well, this shit I got to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, sometimes we have short memories in this sport. We love to uh, – in- succumb to this recency bias and say this is the worst card ever or the worst card we've seen in a long time but this one is kind of bad i gotta say to look at if you are um thinking about spending your money this might be one where you want to see if there is ultimate ultimate i don't know i've heard hypothetically speaking that there's there are ways that somebody can watch a a pay-per-view um but i wouldn't know anything about it myself i don't know this is just a uh it's a bit of a middling one, I guess. I think you you know made a great point when you said that uh, the main event is all is a plan B, and it kind of trickles down from there. So, kind of a bummer, I think. Maybe for the Australian fans, it, it remains to be seen how this one will sell in, in on pay-per-view. I imagine that the discriminating UFC fans in Australia are probably muttering about it. Many of them will probably go just because they don't get a ton of opportunity, but like, that's a, has a bit of a cynical way to book your fight card. Frankly, just being like, uh, we have decades now of evidence that the hardcore fans of this sport will buy whatever. And so we are going to, to go down to a place we don't normally go where people will be hungry for it. And we'll just give them a lesser product. But uh you're, I think you're right. It seems like that is what the UFC is up to these days.
0: Uh, as for the question of whether we are going to buy it or what we would consider paying for it, just to let people behind the curtain. We're busy that night. Yeah. We got, we got some plans of our own. That's right.
1: We started the show off with a talk of professional wrestling. We will end it as such. We're up and put on a, another professional wrestling event here in Missoula. We did one back in 2018. We wanted to do some more, but the pandemic got in the way. Here we are Saturday, September 9th, 2023. It's going down for real out at the Western Montana Fairgrounds, A an independent wrestling show featuring some really great talent, by the way, bringing prestige wrestling in from Washington. They're going to put on a great show. If you happen to be anywhere in the Montana area and you want to have a fun night on Saturday, come on down to the fairgrounds and uh, watch some wrestling.
0: Yeah, going to be a good time.
1: All right, let's get into just saying stuff and then we'll get out of here for this week. Ben, what
0: is your just saying stuff? Well, Jed, this week for my just saying, I'm going to just read you a tweet. This tweet is by the big homie, the Filthy Casual, at MMA Filthy Casual, I must follow in the MMA space, according to me. Responding to news, big news, that Laura Sanko is finally getting her shot at doing commentary on a UFC pay-per-view. At UFC two ninety three. This week we've been saying that this is overdue. She does a great job. Anytime they give her an opportunity, she knocks it out of the park. Now we're finally going to give her an opportunity on a pay per view. And the tweet in question here from the filthy casual quote First woman commentating a PPV and it's Izzy versus Strickland. The MMA gods have a sense of humor. I'm just saying she's not wrong. She's not wrong. She's
1: not wrong. Just saying. Well, Ben, uh, this week, I'm just saying, Tito Ortiz just opened a new restaurant. I think it's down there in Huntington Beach. And you know our guy over at the Boracina Depot was going to be all over it on the early reviews of Tito Ortiz's new restaurant. And let's just say they are not positive. It's called Tito's Cantina Tapas Style Menu Offering Authentic Mexican Cuisine. It sounds like the the location was very popular. It sounds like Tito Ortiz's restaurant ran out of food real quick and then maybe didn't have any more food for the next night.
0: One of the most important aspects of the restaurant business, as I understand it, is that you got to have food to sell.
1: I guess this week I'm just saying, you know what? There are times when I'm tempted to feel bad for Tito Ortiz just because he is so ridiculously bad at everything. (laughs) (laughs) Good fighter, great fighter in his day. Good wrestler, bad at everything else. And sometimes I'm like, man, that sucks for Tito Ortiz to be bad at at everything else. But I don't know if I can even feel bad for the guy when it comes to serving something called the T-Mac taco, which claims to be carne asada, shredded lettuce, T-Mac sauce, onion, and cilantro. And if you look at this, uh tweet from Boracina Depot and you scroll forward you can see what it actually is uh, the T-Mac sauce reportedly is a ripoff of McDonald's uh, Big Mac sauce so okay. the sauce that you would get on a Big Mac and this particular quote unquote taco is served on a series of hamburger buns Ben Tito Ortiz is out here serving tacos on hamburger buns at his authentic Mexican cuisine restaurant I'm just saying I can't even feel bad for him. I can't even feel bad for him because he is even worse at stuff than I thought he was. I can't even feel bad for him. I can't. I mean, I don't I don't know how you call it a taco at that point, frankly. No, that's a burger. That's a sloppy joe is yeah. what that is. You're serving sloppy joes right now at your authentic Mexican cuisine restaurant.
0: You have reinvented and then misidentified the sloppy joe.
1: <laughs> Tito's Cantina. Just saying. All right, we're going to get out of here for this week. Thanks uh, to everybody for listening. Sorry we were a day late here owing to the holiday. We will be back tomorrow for the people behind the Patreon paywall. We got the live chat coming up on Thursday, doing the damn thing, where we're going to chat with our guy Patrick Wyman about everything going on in his life. You may remember him uh, from earlier work in MMA. He has since graduated to uh other things i was gonna say bigger and better but i don't want to insult the audience uh and we'll talk to him on thursday and then of course friday the power hour where we will get you absolutely fucking psyched for ufc 293 thanks for listening everybody as for right now we are done we are through
0: we are out and I do want to point out that Boicino Depot has this review from somebody who writes how awful their T-Mac tacos were and that it was supposed to come out with rice and beans, but did not. And they finally got the beans. Quote, they were some of the worst of the beans any of the three of us ever tasted. Now here's a window into this group when you see it. Jen thought they tasted like lime, I thought they tasted like lint, and Bryson thought they tasted like shit.
1: <laughs> I'm with Bryson.
0: Imagine them just going around the table. For, you start off with lime, like Jen's really trying to place it. You know, she's really trying to give an honest answer. Then lint. I don't know how you even know what lint tastes like. And then Bryson's like, they taste like shit. And he goes, the conversation just falls on.